Hello, I'm Rachel Lyman, and we want to welcome you to our 2023 Interfaith Connection podcast. This is a Spiritual Life Center monthly podcast dedicated to the exploration of faith traditions that promote love. Rev. Dave Lyman is my partner in marriage and also my senior minister partner for our Interfaith Explorers organization. We're both so excited to be starting our third year of podcasts on this grand adventure. Our goal this year is to explore and make new friends at faith communities in the greater Sacramento region where interfaith continues to grow. We also want to encourage your feedback as you participate in interfaith events and field trips, read our newsletter and listen to our monthly podcasts. So as we say each year, buckle up and get ready for the exciting year ahead. Hello, this is Rachel Lyman from Interfaith Explorers. And today we're starting our 30th Interfaith Connection podcast. We're so excited about that. And today it'll be Dave, Rev Dave and I, and we're going to be discussing a little known faith at least I think it's little known, it was little known to us anyway, called Jainism. And over the years, when I put together the interfaith holy day calendars, uh, Jainism was always in the mix. Uh, And oftentimes they would have uh, holy days when the Buddhists and the Hindus had holy days. So I was kind of curious because I really didn't know that much about Jainism. So this is, we're going to take kind of an in-depth look at it and the information uh, that we've gleaned to put all this together came from what they call the Interfaith Manual by Reverend Dr. Stephen Albert. And um, we love the way he put this book together because uh, it would ask various questions and then look at the various faiths. So today we're going to look at Jainism. That's J-A-I-N-I-S-M. And uh, so let's take a look at the very beginnings of Jainism, uh, its origin, and and where is it in the world, and, and what does it look like today? Well, Jainism, believe it or not, is one of the most ancient religious traditions of not just uh, from India, but the whole world. And some uh, scholars trace the antiquity of its uh, origin to a civilization dating back to 4000 BC. So Jainism, if, if you know your history, is much older than Buddhism. Uh, might come of a, sh- a shock to some of you out there. But and it can truly be considered one of the most ancient and living religions in the world today. The followers of Jain are devoted to um, a, a person, an om, omnipotent person, and uh, they teach a path to salvation. So, where are they in the world today? Well, in the world today, they're uh, they're quite a few, uh, mainly on the Indian subcontinent. And uh, its influence there has remained confined to just certain sections of society. Uh, 
Um, well, when Buddhism almost vanished from the subcontinent of India, Jainism maintained its influence and importance in um, in the religious uh, milieu of India. And right today, it's practiced by 8 to 10 million people all over the world, especially in India. Well, it's interesting. I just went on the internet when we were doing our research, typed in Jane Community in Sacramento, and I found one. And it's called the Jane Center of Greater Sacramento, located on Old Placerville Road in Sacramento. And uh, they do actually have a website and have services on Sundays. And um haven't got down there yet to go to a service, but I think that's in my future. I'd like to check that out. Um, so basically, they're on the Mather Field campus area down there. So um, uh, it's interesting. So um, let's talk about uh, it's the Jainism's main beliefs. And I believe there are three of them. Isn't that true, Dave? It is true, Rachel. Funny you should be asking me that, because that's in my notes that it's my turn. Uh, there are three main beliefs, and the Jainism is a difficult faith because it's got uncompromising emphasis on austerity, on being rigid and following the beliefs. The first belief is nonviolence to a level beyond any faith. They behave that everything in life has a jiva, a soul, and nothing should be treated violently. This includes not only people and animals, but all of nature and even the microbes, so that the death of a microbe, which cannot be seen, is considered a violent act by a person practicing this religion. It's why there are Jains who cover their mouth when walking and fear that they may kill a flying bug. Their second big belief is reincarnation and transmigration, which is returning to a different kingdom of life after death. All Jains believe they continue to come back to life after life until they've completed their sacred journey in the perfect way. But that leads us to that third belief, which is the fear of karma, which to a Jain is called karmic, karmic burn or karmic stains. They believe their reincarnation will not end until they've balanced out everything. That they've taken those violent acts that they may have done and balanced them out. And that we have layers of negative karma around us, which has have developed and attached themselves to us. And our job is to spend the day and life doing good for others, doing meditation, asking forgiveness. Worship is not a spiritual end in itself. It's a way to attain peace and happiness through behaving rightly. They reject the Vedas of the, of the Hindus and caste system of Hinduism and instead recognize higher beings of light, gods of the house, intermediaries, luminaries, astral gods in the next dimension of life, all around the continual work of reincarnation to finally come back in a perfect way. Now, as we look at that, then it becomes that there are actually two divisions of Jainism that I think Rachel's going to talk about now. 
That's true. There are two divisions, and it's, it's quite interesting. And, and both of the divisions that I'm going to be talking about, uh, they're major divisions um, in, in their thinking. So you have two different groups is what, what this basically is. And uh, But both groups have the same religious and philosophical beliefs and practically the same mythology. Well, the first one is called, and it's, it's the word is Diga, Diga Embaras. It's D, I, D is in dog, I-G-A-M-B-A-R-A-S. Diga Embaras. And those are monks who give up all possessions. I mean, everything down to the last stitch of clothing. They do not wear clothes. And uh, those um, are divided into two or three groups uh, within that group. And um, those particular, that particular division of monks do not believe that it's possible for a woman to achieve salvation. Um, okay. <laughs> What's the, the second division? Well, the second division is called... <laughs> Shwetambaras, S-H-W-E-T-A-M-B-A-R-A-S. And those are monks who also give up all material possessions, but they clad themselves in white cotton. So um, and, and what we could attribute that to is uh, something very similar is when we see the Brahma Kumaras Hindu community, they're all clad in white as well. <clears throat> So these uh, Shwetambaras uh, have, are further divided into temple goers who worship idols and also some that do not worship idols. And there's a third group also who do, who do not worship idols and they emphasize 13 virtues, which I won't mention right now. <clears throat> anyway, so... Those are the, it's quite interesting to have um, two distinct divisions like that in a faith, but they do. So, Rachel, in practicing the faith as a Jane, what is a concept of God for a Jane? Well, it's not exactly a concept of God, but more a concept of Godhood. And this Godhood can be attained by every soul. So it can be uh, he or a she can attain it, it and when it, they attain it, it's um, omnipotent. So that person knows everything. When they reach that pinnacle, they know everything about the past, the present, and the future at the same time. And they're free from the four merit major karmas. And their great souls are called arihantas. So there have been a, quite a few godhood souls, and they talk about uh, 24 of these godhood souls, and uh, many of them came and their worldly lives, they were kings or princesses, and some were just ordinary people, but there are like 24 of them that they recognize. And um, so they um, they have what they call is Tarathankaras, which are uh, the the ultimate when you, it's like the Buddhist becoming a, a enlightened. 
and in its in a sense is very similar to that. So they worship these four twenty-four uh, godhood souls, um, and they think that uh, when they do that, it helps them lead their own souls to a spiritual path and ultimately to liberation. So that's quite a mouthful, but that's what they believe in in their concept of God. So Dave, um, we know a few things already about the Jains. So what do they feel that their purpose of life is all about? They feel that the purpose of life and life is to attain moksa, or release, from the cycle of rebirth. Remember, we're talking about reincarnation, and their whole life is built to try to get out of that cycle. The only way they can do it is through nonviolent actions and getting rid of negative karma. So they have five levels that they work with. The first are the sadhas, the monks, and the sarivas, the nuns. The second is the apadihaivas, the teacher of the Jain scriptures. Pardon me on the pronunciations. The third is akaras, the spiritual leaders. The fourth is the siddhas, the liberated souls. And the fifth is the arahantas, liberated souls who have obtained salvation. Each morning and evening, Jains pay penance, meditate, and ask for forgiveness for anything they may have done, which might have caused any person or life form problems. They understand that although actions by others might be harmful or hurtful, their emotions and reactions to these actions are under their control. And that's what makes it important to follow that. Well, that's... Um... An everyday, very strict way of living, for sure. So do the Jains uh, require any particular rituals or observances in their faith? It's a really interesting thing. You know how you convert to Jainism, Rachel? I do not know how to convert. Act like a Jain and pretend and, and believe that you're a Jain. And so guess what happens? You're a Jain. That's all you have to do is say it. Jane's worship at stone temples or at home or wooden shrines and spiritual practices and holidays are observed by celebrating significant events of the lives of the genus, performing penances. They recite sacred texts, uh, attend religious classes, study scriptures. They take certain vows to control senses, give alms, and do other acts. Worship rituals may include chanting mantras spoken by most Jains every morning. For a boy, a thread is bestowed at the coming of age around 11 or 12 that's to be worn around his waist as a symbol of being twice born. The equivalent of coming of age for girls is marriage. The bestowed of the thread is part of the wedding ceremony. Puja symbolizes various aspects of Jain's religions. So there's different parts and places of puja performed of various different ceremonies. Well, I remember we went to a puja out at the Vindanta Hindu Center where they it was a celebration of the birth of uh, one of their gurus. 
And you wonder then, Rachel, is, is how, how does spiritual growth fit in this? Do you know on that? Yeah, the, you know, like we said before, James believe in re, <clears throat> excuse me, reincarnation. So they know they're going to keep coming back and back until they live a perfect life. Uh, but to free themselves, try to free themselves from this cycle of birth and death over and over again, they practice asceticism. And what that basically means is it's a severe self-discipline way of living. Uh, and they also avoid um, all forms of any kind of indulgence. So it's very strict living, uh, very stringent in nature. So what they're hoping is the life they're in now will be their last one. So they don't have to keep coming back and, you know, redoing, redoing, you know. So, and it's interesting because if, if, if this, I was hoping this was my last <laughs> uh, life on, on earth, I would choose a profession, and many of them do, the Janes, you'll find Janes choose professions that are very carefully chosen because they want to revolve them around protecting lives. They could be firemen or policemen or something like that, or doing good deeds for others. Um, you know, being in the medical professions or teaching or whatever. So their ethical, ethical code is very strict in nature. And, um, and they do try to follow, be very ethical and good and, and um, do positive things in the world. And they do that with much dedication and sincerity. Another thing they do not believe in stealing from others. They believe in being connected with, with others and, and helping others and sharing. And James, uh, this is very similar to the Buddhists. James do not think, they, the James, there's nothing permanent as far as a Jane is concerned. And that's very Buddhist-like. Not even one's body. So materialistic pleasures uh, only hamper spiritual growth and create a temporary sense of satisfaction. And actually, even as a unity seeker, <laughs> I've heard that before, where you have to go beyond the body stuff and and get more into your spiritual nature in order to become enlightened and 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 really shine that light that be that divine creature you've come here to be. So I thought that was pretty neat. Now, the the symbol for Jane's, if you look it up on the internet, it's a it's a palm, a palm, a hand, a palm with an open hand. And so the reason they have that symbol is they whenever they maybe want to do something, it isn't quite what they should be doing. They remember that hand is like stop it represents stop don't do that think before you th do that so um and then when they james feel that when they're living a good life and they're not uh creating any problems anywhere uh they experience absolutely no stress in life 
So that's their that's one of their goals for sure. So Dave, being a, a Reverend Dave, uh, the next area we're going to look at is what's a what's a Jane's prayer like, prayer life like, and that's very different. They're not the, their prayers are not so God focused prayers as their their prayers more towards spirituality. Um, they they do prayers that recall the great acts of their their previous leaders, remind the individual of previous uh, teachings. And their prayers are part of the spiritual development of a, who a person is. It's a means to an end, not an end in itself. They do not pray to ask for grace or material favors, but to inspire them in their practice. They're spoken in the ancient dialect of Ardha Magadi, which is as old as Aramaic, the language spoken by Christ. And one of the most important prayers is the Makasara Sutra, which praises the great five beings of Jainism, worships the virtues of the five great beings, and is learned by all Jainism children. It's often the first prayer said in the morning and the last said before they go to sleep. But then we also want to move on and take a look at karmic law, Rachel. Oh, I know. That's that's a biggie. And what I found when we were looking at the doing the research for this in the Interfaith Manual, when we came to karmic law for Jainism, there were other faith traditions listed in there uh, as to uh, either they go along with what the Jains believe or they don't. But um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. So we're going to take a look at that. And uh, maybe mention some other faith as well. So, so Dave, do you want to start us off? There's I'll a start quote, us off, Rachel. There's a quote from the Bhagavad Gita, which is a Hindu. Would you like me to do that quote from the Bhagavad Gita? I would love to have you do that quote. The person whose mind is always free from attachment, who has subdued the mind and senses, and who is free from desires, attains the supreme perfection of freedom from karma through renunciation. So karmic law is very fundamental. It's small variations in most religions, but in the Jainism religion, it's very important. The Christian influences, the New Testament expresses the thought, whatsoever that man soweth, thus shall he reap. This is really what karma means. It's a Sanskrit term used in Hindu and Buddhism. And the philosophy is to signify deed, action, followed by reaction. Now, I think you probably did some research on the Muslim side. Yes, the Muslims speak of kismet as representing one's individual portion or lot in life. And the ancient Greeks had their nemesis or goddess of retributive, retributive sorry, justice. And they also personified the past, present, and future as the three morari, or spinners of destiny. And, and in the Jewish faith, um, we're familiar with the Mosaic injunction, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So all of these different ways of describing this universal law of harmony and balance 
um, which ensure that every cause set in motion will sometime in the future bring about its corresponding effect. And it's also true in physics, I believe, <laughs> which is not a religion. Well, it's really interesting because when you move into new thought, remember Gandhi said an eye for an eye just makes the whole world blind. And so that cause and effect, the, the, the unity principle that says what we, uh, what we put out is what we get back. There's no actions in life that do not stem from what, what we are thinking. And this is very Jainism-based. It's one of the things that, that impact how they will look at karma and it will cons- and it'll coincide in a lot of the lessons that we've learned in New Thought. Now, would you like me to go on and talk about miracles? Miracles? You mean Jains believe in miracles? Tell us about that. Well, it's kind of an interesting thing. Miracles for the Jains always have a higher purpose than merely solving someone's worldly problems. From the Jainism side, aesthetics are not supposed to be magicians. And in many cases, they may talk about a story and have a Jain context to it, but the miracle is not part of the story because it is that it is bigger than the worldly problem. So The miracle-working aesthetic, the miracle-working Jainism, protects Jain laity, defeats Jainism's enemies, aids non-Jains who may become Jains as a result. A miracle always has a reason to occur in Jainism. There you go. Well, that kind of makes sense to me. It does. And, And what do they believe about mysticism? Well, in mysticism, they believe that there are 14 stages indicated through which the soul progresses from that impurifying matter to the final liberation of the soul that steps us away from coming back over and over again. And those 14 stages may take many millenniums to accomplish. So being a Jain is not an easy project. It's part of that work of life. Now, I have to ask, because I've noticed, since we are married, that you are a woman. Oh, my goodness. And I want to talk to you about what are the roles of men and women in Jainism? Well, right. We talked about some of the foundational religious ideas. But if you are a Jain, how do you live? I mean, how do men live? How do women live? And what are the roles of men and women? Well, in Jainism, I was happy to read that women are treated as equals with men. Yahoo. (laughs) I was happy about that. However, um, in the, the, uh, the two divisions that we talked about earlier, there's still that one division that doesn't think women can ever become enlightened, I will say enlightened. So the Swetambaras believe that the enlightened ones can be men or women. And that those are the ones that wear white clothing, okay? So they don't give up everything. They they do uh, wear clothing. 
Um, but the other group, the other monks that do not believe in even wearing clothing, believe that women cannot become enlightened ones. Um, and that the the one that they they call Mali, who was their enlightened guru, was a man. And um they hold that an inherent and inherent should own nothing, not even clothes. So women must be reborn as men before they can attain liberation from the life-death cycle. Wow. So, well, let's see. Women, we can have sex change operations. So how does that? I'm not sure that's what they mean. How does that fit then into like marriage and divorce? Well, marriage and divorce is 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 uh, more conventional, really. When I looked at that uh, in Jane wedding ceremonies, uh, there's a grand public proclamation is made of the intention of the prospective bride and groom to live together for their entire life. So they they believe in marriage to the very end. And Jainism, as far as marriage is concerned, advocates the peaceful coexistence and interaction of two different living organisms in mutual benefit or mutual dependence. Um, And they believe that a married couple's life is regarded as a gift to be shared together where they are helping each other to exist and grow. That sounds like our marriage does yeah i'm happy about that and so they sort of james sort of regard marriage as more or less a worldly affair uh also bringing together two families together for life not just the man bride and groom so marriage and family um raising are recommended for all janes because children born out of wedlock uh uh, is not something they hope to have happen. And then divorce. <clears throat> well, divorce in the Jane society is very rare. Um, and then sometimes there's intercaste marriages within Jane, different Jane, Jane communities or other religious communities. And they're, they're, um, Sometimes accepted and sometimes blessed by the community, but not always. And if you're a widow, uh, they are you can remarry um, in some of the caste groups. And then premarital relationships um, bring discredit to families and are discouraged. So it's a very marriage is very sacred. To them, not only bringing the bride and groom together, but two families together for life to grow and nurture each other. So I like that. I thought that was wonderful. So in marriage, not all relationships are smooth and easy. And sometimes things happens. And sometimes parties have to forgive one another. So, Dave, what do they say about? What do they believe about forgiveness? Well, you know, the Jain faith is relatively small in terms of of the religion itself. 
but they've made a huge contribution on forgiveness. They have this wonderful prayer to their hearts, always asking for forgiveness for all living beings, seeking and receiving the forgiveness for all beings, for all actions, that there be no violence. And sometimes it comes across as an abstract, unrealistic philosophy, but it was a major source of inspiration for a young man named Mahatma Gandhi who was brought up Hindu, but was in an area where Jainism was strong. He liked to frequent Jain teachers and temples, and in the 1890s, he came to know one of the great Jain saints of modern India, who taught him about forgiveness. So the ancient Jain ideals were transmitted to modern politics in India and beyond. Isn't that an amazing story? That is, and I, I found it quite fascinating. But I like the fact that we'll go back that they pray in the morning that they have a day where they uh, do not injure or uh, cause any problems for anything. And then at night, uh, depending on the day they've had, they ask for forgiveness for anything they have done. So it reminds me very much of the Muslim faith, where they pray five times a day, and they're always they always stay connected to spirit. So I I was very very uh, that I respected that very much. And how does that translate to the end of life when they're going through the death and dying process? Well, Jains Jains believe in a what they call a jiva J I V A. It's an immortal essence of a living being which is like a soul. So the souls are subject to an illusion and evolve through many incarnations from mineral, mineral to vegetable to animal. And it's accumulated karma then is determined, uh, determines the next form of its birth. So um, they believe that the prayers are good thoughts or good wishes um, Kirtans, and we know what those are because we've experienced kirtans, which is a call and response chanting, uh, become uh, important uh, to the people who have departed, the departed souls. And that part of it almost reminded me of uh, the Dia de las Muertes, the Day of the Dead, when the um, Mexican-Americans often think about and pray for their ancestors. So basically, this is what it is. You're, you're saying prayers for uh, the departed souls. And when, they, when someone dies, they actually go into a, a, um, a state. Um, it's called a state of swoon or unconsciousness immediately after death. So it's like I don't want to call it a purgatory. That was from my old Catholic faith. But it's, it, it's a space that they go into temporarily. Um, and, and in that space, they can't really feel anything. Uh, but they are detached from their previous material bodies. So any any of us knowing that one of someone is our friend is past, let's say, if we're praying for that person, 
they can receive those uh, prayers from friends and relatives and really feel solace and at peace. Um, and actually, uh, prayers given to the departed create a, a, a very potent vibration, they say. And it's an awakening, and it awakens the soul in that space um, and brings them back to a veiled consciousness. So at that point, the souls realize they're not really in the world anymore in their bodies. And then they endeavor to cross the borderline at that point in time. Uh, they call it the narrow river of ether. Um, and it's also known the similar, very similar to the a Hindu um, and the Muslims also feel that same space where you cross over. So um, the theory of transmigration, even if the individual is to take to take to come back and take another birth immediately after his death, the performance of a uh, paying homage to the person adds to his happiness in his new birth. So even if the person's coming right back, all those prayers you've said for him helps him out in the next life, which is pretty neat. So um, faith is certainly very important to the Jain religion. And prayer is certainly extremely important as well. So Dave, um, let's go on to another topic. How about predestination and free will? What do the Jains feel about the, those uh, concepts? That's a pretty big deal because of this thing about reincarnation and karma. They say our next life is decided approximately two-thirds of the way through the one we're in. And it's based on how well we conquer our personal desires, our anger, our greed. One of the most fundamental doctrines of the Jains is their division of souls into two categories called the Bahaiva and the Abhaiva, those who are capable and those who are incapable of the release from bondage of transmigration. There are five factors, and I'm not going to use the Sanskrit words, I'm going to use the English words, that factor into all of this in predestination and free will. They are time, nature or disposition, past karma, destiny, and human exertion. They're known as the five sabne. Jane thinkers have considered that all the five are responsible for the world's phenomena, and altogether they contribute to the success and failure or pain or pleasure. None of the five is individually effective. They all have to work as a group, and when they all come five into play, the crop shall be grown in the field, and their movement in terms of reincarnation and living that final perfect life, so they come to the point where they don't come back is a goal of the process. And that's where that fits into that. So this has been really fascinating, Rachel. It has. And, and uh, in the uh, interfaith uh, uh, manual, they discuss other 
concepts and issues and so forth. But uh, we kind of wanted just to touch on some of the major areas of this particular faith. And I think we have. And I've come away with a high respect for these people. Uh, they live a very austere life. And they're very devoted to their their marriages, their families. Uh, they're devoted to doing good in the world and not doing do no harm. You know, that that could be their motto. So um, I'm glad we took a look at this because um, and now I, I really sort of anxious to go down and talk to some Janes if I can find the location down there and uh, <clears throat> maybe even try to go to one of the services. I'm not sure how appropriate that would be, but I'll, you know me, I'll try anything, at least one. And we want to remind everybody that Interfaith Explorers does this podcast monthly. And you, our listeners, are the audience that have all the answers. So if you have someone that is a friend of yours or someone that is a practicing Jain, we'd love to talk to them. Because, of course, as Mahatma Gandhi uh, says, a study of the world religions is a good thing. Absolutely. So <clears throat> I want to thank my, <clears throat> excuse me, thank my partner, Rev. Dave Lyman, today. For helping me put this together. I think you ought to marry him. Oh, really? Well, I like what they the Jane said about marriage, and I think that's I think we're already married, aren't we, Dave? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so do you have nuts okay. and bolts about things that are coming up right I now? I do, and I and and thank you for, for the listeners too. And um as interfaith explorers, we uh, urge you to go out and explore some other faith traditions. Keep building those connections and those bridges of understanding and love. So yes, we do have some things coming up. In fact, I came up with this idea for another podcast. And Dave, you're you love to do the research, so um, you're going to be probably be doing most of that, or maybe I can help you with it. And it's going to be called beads. Bells and candles. <laughs> and uh, I understand you're looking at all different faiths. All different faiths and bells, yeah. beads, and candles. And for those of you that are buff movie buffs, um, if I am going to be doing something on bells, beads, and candles next month, why is my cat named Pie Wacket? <laughs> Go ahead and send an email with the answer to that. Because <laughs> there is an answer to it. So hopefully that'll be our July podcast. It will be our July podcast. It will be. A, another thing in July is, Dave, you are doing a Wednesday night program at Spiritual Life Center on Parktown Circle. Uh, with And there's Super Salad at 6, and the program begins at 7. And do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, it's on July 26th <clears throat> from August 14th to August 18th of this year. In Chicago, the Parliament of World Religions is occurring again, where there will be between 10 and 15,000 people gathered together from all different faith traditions, putting on classes, concerts, workshops, and rituals. It's an amazing gathering. Uh, last time they did this, they actually had uh, some of it done on Zoom. This is going to be all physically. 
but we're going to talk about it just because we went in 2015 with 39 people to Salt Lake City, um, and we were able to really do some interesting gathering in different places. Um, our understanding is Reverend James Trapp from Spiritual Life Center will be speaking at the Parliament, and um, we're going to talk a little bit for anybody that's going to the Parliament or just wants to know about it, about how it came together, because it is a critical part of unity movement. George and Myrtle Fillmore went to the 1893 Parliament of World Religions and saw Vivekananda, who got up in front of a crowd and said, hello, my brothers and sisters, and changed the course of the world. Absolutely. And I believe uh, Spiritual Life Center is also, Reverend De Deborah Phillips is doing uh, some other information on the Parliament of World Religions as well. So check the website of Spiritual Life Center, www.slcworld.org, and uh, go on to events, and uh, they will have a listing of uh, what's coming up with that, too. So that'll be an additional information on the Parliament, which will be and, wonderful. And finally, is there a field trip coming up to a, a synagogue here soon? Yes. Um, currently, we have Sunday, August 27th, set aside. Uh, save that date. It's going to be from 2 to whenever. Uh, and we're going to be going to the Mosaic Law congregation on Sierra Boulevard. There's a new rabbi there, Rabbi Herman, and he's going to greet us and give us a, a talk and a tour. So it should be quite interesting. The last thing I want to mention is, and we have other things in the fire, but after that in September, September 9th, Elk Grove is host is having their multicultural festival and they'd have this a big festival with all faith traditions and cultures. There's music and dance and food and, and information booths and so forth. So Interfaith Explorer is going to promote that and try to get some carpooling to go down to that because it's a huge event. And sometimes people don't want to go just by themselves, but we'll be glad to go in groups so that you feel comfortable doing that. So stay tuned. I mean, we are just on a roll here, and we're very pleased to have you listening to us today to our 30th podcast. And I will say one thing, Dave, how many people have listened to our 29 podcasts so far? We're up around 1,100 people. 1,100 people. We got a notice from podcast people. When we reach the thousand mark, a thousand people listen to our podcast that we've been uh, doing. We're recording every month for the last three years through Spiritual Life Center. Um, and um, we're just thrilled to be doing this. Uh, so take time to look, listen to some of the others. It's an, an hour that is very informative on all subjects. So until then, stay tuned and namaste. Thank you for joining us today to explore a deeper understanding of our interfaith look at the world. 
This 2023 podcast will be aired the fourth Thursday of the month on Spiritual Life Center's website. slcworld.org under Interfaith Connection Podcasts. You can also listen to our previous 24 plus podcasts at this same location. And we want to hear from you. So send us your comments, questions, or suggestions to me. That's Rachel Lyman at rachel24 at surewest.net. That's R-A-C-H-E-L-2-4 at S-U-R-E-W-E-S-T dot net. And let us remember as we go along our different paths that Gandhi once said, a peaceful exploration of all faiths is our sacred duty. Namaste.